0: You are listening to Girovagando, the cycling
1: podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are in Gran Montana. <laughs>
2: ryan 12:32 local time swiss time i can see you smiling you look delirious to be in switzerland i'm very happy i, I love this country the scenery and we're being treated on that front as we head down the grand san bernard um, yeah it just makes me feel good being here anyway just looking at the dashboard of our car 12 degrees centigrade
0: and roads uh,
2: completely dry
0: even patches of sun here
2: yes I've um, been messaging a few riders this morning and well they don't really know what to think.
0: It's also I mean there's a lot of people who need to agree on on what what the best decision is and after the severe weather protocol everyone gets their say and yeah we've seen before that was that structure was put in place. There was just a lot of polemica also because it wasn't communicated very well what the decision making was and yeah there's there would always be one of those parts in disagreement and today i'm that part because i mean no disrespect but this is like actually
2: best conditions we've had on the juro and it's, that's yeah not even a particularly facetious comment it, no they look pretty perfect the conditions and yeah. um, obviously not too hot but perfectly dry Some blue sky as you say beautiful snow-capped mountains in the background and i suppose the bottom line is we are actually going to have a an exciting stage and we're not uh, we're not going to have too much of a decapitated stage either because at one stage this morning leaving Ivrea we were pretty convincing the weather there and I looked at my weather app it said 100% chance of rain all day we thought the stage would probably be cancelled
0: there's completely blue skies on the horizon
2: yeah so at least we've got those last two climbs the two hardest climbs that were originally on the day's route and um, well it's it's going to be a stage worthy of it's pre-race billing. Brian, not said but Bonsoir, comme on en Suisse romande. How's it going?
0: It's going well, my, my friend. That's we the are, first time you smiled today. Um, we're in enemy territory for you. Well, I'm going to just start by quoting the famous poet Allen Ginsberg, Daniel. The heat came round and busted me for smiling on a clouded day. Because, Daniel, we're sitting in the after-ski of this, like, blizzard that covered the Giro, and we're at the bar Johnny, Gianni, we found a small Italian, like, local place here in Camantana. Could Tamantana. that be
2: Gianni? Who could it be in honour of today? Gianni Moscon, maybe. Gianni Moscon was in the headlines earlier today. He was suggesting was, yeah. that the whole, the the Stage 13 that was initially planned from, uh, where were we near Ivrea this morning? to. Grand Montana should have gone ahead in its entirety, and this was a minority view,
0: wasn't Only it? Formerly known as the tractor of Trento, now the snow plow of, <laughs> of this year's Giro. <laughs> but Brian, we also heard at the start of the
2: episode, well, that was our conversation on the way down from the Grand Saint-Bernard at around lunchtime today, heading down towards Martigny, and we, like a lot of people, emerged into the light at the end of the Grand Saint-Bernard tunnel, tunnel that's been the subject of a lot of debate and conversation over the last few days, we were startled by how good the
0: conditions were. As you heard there, weren't we? It was, it was basically it was light at the end of the tunnel. As soon as we crossed uh, and, and the other side of the Alps, we were in—I wouldn't say mild conditions, but significantly better. Completely the opposite of what we came from in Italy. And it was, yeah, it was quite pleasant for Switzerland. And Brian, it was a
2: day of intense debate and speculation, wasn't it? We had that decision early in the day that, well, initially we thought that the stage might be cancelled. Then we thought that the penultimate climb might be taken off the route because and there had been reports that it was going to be, well, the surface wasn't very good. It was going to be cold up there. It was over 2,000 meters. And then finally, we learned that this compromise had been struck and a truncated... Um, how many kilometers was it in the end, Brian? A truncated uh, stage would go I ahead. I mean, the stage
0: was... The reduced stage of today was 74.6 kilometers. 74 kilometers. Kilometer stage the original would stage was 207 kilometers.
2: Yes. But that stage did go ahead, that truncated stage. And Brian, I suppose without too much further ado, we should get to the teletappa. We will talk a lot about the rights and wrongs of the decisions that were taken later in the episode, of course. But let's get on with the nuts and bolts as you take a sip of your Pinot Noir. I've got a glass of Chasselas, known as Fondant, in this part of Switzerland. But Brian... The Pinot
0: is like the warmest
2: part of my day. That's like... It it was... Pull it out of the oven the pinot Noir is yeah. extremely apt,
0: as we will find out in just a second. Exactly.
1: It's time for the tale of the Tappa.
0: Thank you, Daniel. So, the reduced stage 13 was from La Chable to Grand Montana, 74.6 kilometers of the original 270 kilometer stage. A lot of riders warming up because it started uphill, and uh, there was a reason for that very uh, aggressive start lots of attacks riders early uh, being dropped those attacks created a strong group uh, but from the initiative of Jefferson Cepeda of EF Education who got some good climbing companies shortly after as none other than Thibaut Pinot came blasting through including his teammate Bruno Amarei who was there to motor the gap bigger Pinot who was obviously you'd think chasing points for the GPM and the climbers jersey on the first climb but as this shortened stage went on it began to look like an enterprise of a way more grandiose ambition. Pino was on the attack in all kinds of ways, Climbers jersey, GC, stage win included. Others had plans too for the shortened stage, and uh, there was obviously a stage win up for grabs, uh, depending on uh, uh, Team Ineas' intentions of it. So, the breakaway that Stuck consisted of, other than Thibaut Pino, Jefferson Cepeda, Derek G of Israel, um, Premier Tech, Aina Rubio from Movistar, and Valentin Paripantra. He was actually initially dropped, but he got back on this much debated descent of uh, Croix de Coeur, just actually to attack and drop the others. That seemed to be like some kind of red flag, of, um, it started, it basically it meant that Pino just countered him, attacked already on the descent. There was all, I mean, Pino was in an attacking mode today, he, he was com- un- completely out of control, and that uh, was a joy to see. Uh, at this point, the pink jersey group was led by Ineos, and they were uh, a whooping 3 minutes and 14 seconds behind with just 47 kilometers to go. Now remember, Daniel and the listeners, before this stage, Pino was 15th in the GC, 4.48 behind Thomas, and he was animating this break very he was, much. He was
2: hotly tipped for this stage by some very venerable journalists yesterday evening, though, wasn't he? Yes, he was.
0: And uh, well, he actually went, uh, like I said, attacking onto the descent into the valley before the last climb up here, where we are right now. A big and very motivated effort from the Frenchman riding his last Giro. He didn't get away at first, but it was certainly a real sign of uh, the plans he had for the, for today. Luckily for Pino, the collaboration and the breakaway worked quite well going through the valley. It had to, as uh, Ineos had timed their pace on the second climb, the the Croix de Coeur, really well. And that meant that both Ben Swift and Pavel Sivakov, who'd been dropped, came back and were able to uh, pull on the flat before the final climb out to Ramontana. At this point, the breakaway had a three-minute gap. With 12 kilometers to go, Pino went again. I stopped counting how many times Pino went and came back and went. And he got quite frustrated as well. Uh, he clearly did not want company. He ended up getting it. And at the end, that um, as the main group had reduced to 30 riders, it was uh, to be contested to three riders in the breakaway. The win. It was quite curious because I was sitting there waiting on now. now Pino's going to go. He's going to wait. He's going to go, and, and I was quite certain he had this one in the bag. But uh, the champagne pops didn't. Uh, the champagne bottles didn't pop for Pino. It was Aina Rubio who was left um, uh, had probably left most of his energy in in reserve. Maybe even having bluffed on uh, on the way up here. He waited and waited, and then he won very smart win for Movistar, Rubio's biggest to date, Pino took second and Cepeda took third. Now in the favorites group things uh, happened as well. First attack came from Lucky Lorenzo Fortunato from Ilo Cometa and just as uh, Hugh Carthy attacked after him it was actually the exact same moment that the final opened up in the front. In the favorites group Inya set a pace that half the numbers of the original bigger group and uh, Jumbo Visma were very well represented. Aronsman was the last rider to stay with Garen Thomas, but the pace was not enough for, uh, to avoid attacks at this point. First rider to to try at this point was Caruso, who didn't get far away. After him, Eddie Dunbar, who got a small gap. But it definitely uh, was the case that Garen Thomas had things under control. He keeps the jersey. And I mean he, he retains his lead in the GC. The only thing that really happened in the, from a GC perspective was that Pino got uh, jumped up some places he, he, he carved back some time and uh, so did um, Hugh did Carthy he... moved at one place sorry Hugh Carthy yeah sorry uh, really? Pino so actually gained five
2: places on yeah. general classification he's now well, he's back in the shake-up to a certain extent it's he's top 10. yeah back he's 10, top 10 he's 313 down let's just run down Brian the top 10, shall we? Why not? Yep. Uh, Primoz Roglic, two seconds still only behind Geraint Thomas. Joao Almeida, 22 seconds behind Thomas. Lechneson still hanging on, riding extremely well, doggedly, 42 seconds down. Caruso, 1 minute 28. Then we've got Kemner, who I think surprised maybe a few people, although I always felt that a short explosive stage might suit yeah. him, and yes. it did. He's still sick, 1 52 down Dunbar seventh, 232 down Ahrensman 245 Depluse, 308 and Pino 313. And the new entry, Brian, on the King of Mountains competition, there was some movement as well with Thibaut Pino back yeah, so, on top.
0: Yeah, he's back on top and uh, only with a slender lead uh, f- um, in front of David Baez, who's been carrying that jersey for quite a bit now. Pino now has 114 points. David DeBias 104. And now on third is Ainer um, Rubio uh, with 68 points. Brian, shall I tell you who had a very good day
2: and who celebrated in almost as exuberant fashion as our stage winner Ainer Rubio. Did you notice Thomas Gloag coming in today? He was well, the young Englishman who was called, at, we know, at the 11th hour to take his place in the Jumbo-Visma team. He was with the group of the sort of GC leaders for a long time, looked very strong. Riding his first Grand Tour, obviously. Came in 24th, three minutes, 13 down. But he had a lovely smile as he came in uh, into the finishing straight. And there was, I think it was a bit of a raise of the arm as well, which was an, a very endearing moment, I thought. It definitely also bodes well
0: for whatever left of the, this uh, cut and paste uh, Giro. But it must also be a relief for, for Roglic that he's going so well. And, and don't forget, Jumbo-Visma, they still have a, a, a full team, eight riders. <laughs> Well,
2: Brian, it was a day of polemica, pathos. As I said, we're going to hear, we're going to talk a lot about that later. But, well, let's hear from a few of the protagonists, shall we, on a range of subjects. Let's hear from Eddie Dunbar first, just about the decision that was taken early this morning to shorten the stage. And to ride well, over the, what were going to be the last two climbs anyway, the Croix de Coeur and the climb up to Col montana And we heard about Eddie Dunbar's little attack in the finale as well. Let's also hear from Max Chandry, Aine Rubio's victorious,
0: triumphant director sportif. But not his, Italian, uh, not his Italian Italian stepdad, because Aine Rubio actually has a, 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 almost just as big a connection to, uh, to Italy as we have. He,
2: yeah, he spends a lot of his time, most of his time, in Benevento, which is a very unlikely adopted home for a professional cyclist in the south of Italy. Came um, there in 2017 to, and, start, to start finally, and finally, let's turn our attention to the GC group, and we'll hear from Mark Rafe, the Jumbo Visma director sportif, about Primoz Roglic's day, and also Thomas Glogue as well.
3: I, I understand there's a lot of work going into organising a race like this, but... Uh, yeah, we, we wanted to race the first climb and we're still a race up here. We were just scared of the, not scared, but that, that descent was fairly dangerous. Um, and that's what we were trying to avoid, you know. We wanted a race today, that was never an issue. Um, but you can see when we drove up that climb, it was absolutely fine. And that's what we wanted, um, as I said. But that was the decision that um, was taken out of our control.
2: Well, Max, um, that was a very smart game that I know Rubio played. It looked like that. We didn't think he had a chance. He looked like the weakest of the three. What was really happening in his head and in the car?
4: Well, you know, from from the breakaway, actually on the first climb when they went, as always, Pinot, Pinot, Pinot Thibault is the guy, you know, he's going to go for KOM jersey. He's going to be the driver of this breakaway, and that's what he was, actually. He went a few times. The first kick when he went at the bottom of uh, Crass Montana was my fear that... He would have put a big gap in, but he slowly, slowly came back. He just managed to pace himself and just do the job and drop down.
2: He looked as though he was—he was talking in the microphone a couple of times in the last two kilometers. I mean, what was he—what was he being told? Oh,
4: we just went through—we just went through the last K again. I just reminded him how was the last K. I just reminded him how was two K to go, and and you know, just going through stuff like that and just giving him positive <laughs> vibes or whatever I could give him from the car. And
2: he seemed to. Well, it seemed as though Cepeda and Rubio they weren't chasing each other. Was there any kind of alliance, a sort of South American alliance? Do you, you know,
4: think? I didn't really see much of the race, even being behind uh, the breakaway. You know, sometimes with the hairpins, you get a little bit boxed behind, uh, and I didn't really see much. But maybe could have been something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Nothing that I knew of.
2: Well, great day for you, Max. But just generally with the shortened stage, I mean, were you? Relatively satisfied with the decision that was eventually made this morning. Well,
4: as I just said, now to even the Italian TV, I mean, I think it was a, a decision taken by everybody, and that's that's a good thing. Whatever the decision was, obviously, it doesn't help the the all the t- smaller towns and, and provinces, Aosta, and everybody involved in the in the start of the stage. But this is, you know, this is what happened, and the decision was was taken, and it was a good decision.
2: And the emotion in the car when. When he crossed the line, I mean, you know,
4: when you win a stage in the Giro, it's, it's amazing. A lot of work, a lot of stress, a lot of everything behind it, and you know, you get it. It's it's a massive. It'll take a bit to sink in. It's it's in right now, but it's going to go That's down.
2: Well, Mark, can you tell us what what was the plan before the route was changed today, and what was the plan after it was
3: changed? Hi. Uh, before the race, um, before the stage, we would. Try to uh, to to make it somewhat harder at, uh, at moments when the when the feeling was also uh, good for Primus and now in the first place, yeah, we had the situation that Ineos immediately took control. Uh, it was also yeah a relative short stage and tense stage and uh, and yeah they set a good pace so that we yeah could follow and uh, and in the, en- in the end it was also fine to finish with this group. You so said you could follow.
2: Was it impossible to attack? Was the tempo too high for anyone to attack? We didn't see many attacks from the, that group?
3: Yeah, uh, I, I don't know yet, uh, but I think that the tempo was uh, was good enough to uh, to follow. And um, and I mean, the situation, how it, how it was today, uh, also at the finish line, was okay for us. In the GC is, uh, is how it is, everything is still uh, close together. And, uh, and there's, there are many, uh, many hard days to come, so it's okay like uh, like how it is now. And just on the route change, I mean, a lot of people,
2: a lot of the riders will try to explain their Sort of fears and, and why it was a good decision. Can you give us your explanation? Explain to someone who might be disappointed
3: that we didn't see the whole stage. Um, why the decision was a good decision? Uh, in the first place, they uh, heard yesterday, uh, or they got some pictures that there was still uh, that the descent of the quadricule was uh, was quite dangerous in combination with, uh, with the weather forecast and also what and, and everything what is already behind us. Um, the riders voted together for, uh, for a route change. It's something what they proposed to, to take the Quadecoeur and out at a combination from and the descent and the weather conditions to go around. Uh, in the end, uh, the RCS came with a proposal to start and at the bottom of um, Yeah, You have to find each other somewhere and, uh, mm. and I think that the riders and I think also all the teams were happy that uh, that the uh, RCS was uh, was open for uh, for it, and also looking to to everything what uh we've been through uh, already the last couple of days. I mean, nobody can can change the weather, uh, but it's something where we have to deal with. And uh, and yeah, I think that everybody is happy with uh, with that is RCS. Was open for it and and also with the change in the end because yeah the the weather stayed good yeah, from the from the start um, and and in the end I think that everybody saw a nice race on TV.
2: How confident are you, having seen the way Primoz
3: is riding? I mean, are you happy with the situation as it is at the moment as a team? Yes, uh, we are. Ver- yeah, we are very happy in the situation. How this is okay. Um, day by day, we are growing more into the race. Um, yeah, Riders that. Came in at the last moment. They're also growing. I mean, you saw Rowan Dennis yeah, also still uh, being there with the uh, with the last 20-25 riders. What is a, what is a good signal? Also, uh, well, Thomas Gloeck was uh, was there and, and is and is growing. I mean, he's still young and and uh, tomorrow it can be another day again. But yeah, like what he showed today is uh, is really promising. And I mean, Seppi is uh, is there. Around, Primoz Kune is there. Um, so yeah, I and mean, we are happy with uh, with the situation and we are confident also for uh, for still the really hard third week.
5: The
0: Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
5: Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast coverage of the Giro d'Italia. Now, in my experience, one of the best things about covering the Grand Tours is dinner time because you get to enjoy all of the great food that Italy in particular has to offer now the teams themselves have a chef on the road with them, and I asked Pavel Sivakov of the Ineos Grenadiers what his favourite dishes are when he's at the Giro d'Italia.
3: We we do look uh, always look forward to dinner. we have a, a great our great chef chef James here. So always yeah, always amazing food with him. Uh, for the pasta, um, it's a hard one between cacio and pepe and carbonara. I think. Uh, yeah, probably carbonara i would go for that and for the for the pizza i would go with a good buffalo on top uh, tomato sauce some some good parma ham and maybe a little bit of truffle i like the, the, the taste of truffle so yeah it might, might sound a bit posh but uh, <laughs> i like the
1: the truffle
2: Well, Brian, we're in Switzerland, a country renowned for its order, um, for its adherence to rules. Its neutrality. Yes, it's neutrality. But in that vein of adherence to uh, rules and a strict timetable, we're going to proceed in chronological order. We're going to deal with what happened at the start of the day. um, Even hearing from people talking at the end of the day and reflecting on that. So, we've established that the stage was shortened. It was shortened to... 70-something kilometres, wasn't it? And had one not known, Brian, about all of the sort of preamble and all of the kerfuffle preceding the stage, you would have felt that you'd seen an entertaining mountain stage particularly the the first part of the mountain stage today it looked as though well we were in for a crackerjack of a stage I mean if you Lots switched on the tv early. when you got home from work exactly all, and
0: of, all of this will, will be news to you
2: yes brian however we mentioned that sort of disconnect between what the conditions were were looking like when we emerged from the grand san bernard and well the decision that was taken and expectations about what the conditions were going to be like and this i suppose brings us to the fundamental polemica of today it was a decision taken really based
0: on a hypothesis wasn't it not on the reality it, it was, of the well it situation. was a it was a vote so my recap of this it was a vote based on the decisions how it looked yesterday for today's stage yes and um it looked to be a lot worse than it was coming down from the quadacure and the riders and the riders did not want it. They didn't want to. That was there. They didn't want to do that descent in the rain. And uh, if it was snowy rain, that would also mean that the um, the severe weather, weather protocol. We can talk about that later on. That would kick in. Then there wasn't. You couldn't apply the severe weather protocol for what what the climate uh, conditions are. Brian, of do,
2: would it be worth just reading out what the what the provisions are in the extreme weather protocol? Yeah, I
0: have it here. Just uh, so in if so, there's listed six criteria where the severe weather protocol can set in and one, freezing rain two, snow accumulation on roads three, strong wind, four extreme temperatures, five poor visibility, six air pollution. So those are the listed weather conditions that will then potentially kick in the severe weather protocol where they have different methods of either shortening the stage, cancelling the stage, moving the start, moving the finish, etc. But these provisions—they deal with realities, not hypotheses. Am I That's correct? That's an extremely I mean, the, good point.
2: It, this is—it's a, a very difficult thing because obviously around a bike race, there's a lot of infrastructure and the things that have to be arranged in advance. Yeah. Um, and if we go back to the times when the extreme weather protocol has been applied in the past, it—it's not uncommon for it to be applied on the basis of a hypothesis.
0: Yeah. And remember that it was. This is the irony of today, a little bit, I suppose. That the severe weather protocol was made so that they didn't have to argue or um, ha- postpone the start on the day so that they could actually make a prudent decisions on the day before the race that everyone agreed on, all the relevant stakeholders the jury, the riders the teams, i.e. the riders and the race organizers, so they would meet at the same table and figure out what the best solution was, given the conditions but the interesting thing is here and I think that's worth a pretty serious discussion, is that there was they, uh, there was a bargaining basically because like I said initially they didn't the riders didn't want to do the descent of quite a curve. that's exactly what they ended up doing but as a, as a wager as a compromise they didn't do the first like long part of the stage they skipped major parts of it basically two-thirds of it to uh, to just do those 74 kilometers so they ended up doing what they didn't want to do but they were happy because some of it was cut off. And that has nothing to do with the severe weather protocol and the arguments that I heard and the arguments, basically that Karen Thomas put forward and other riders. What we heard in the in the Salas Dampa today was that it's because of how much it's been raining early on in the Giro. It's the every, everyone is probably quite tired, you know. And there's been other things disrupting this race, and that apparently had a big say in the decision that was made today. So, in my opinion, it wasn't the weather, fair, the extreme weather protocol. It was basically an arm wrestle between the Peloton and the organizers.
2: Yes, exactly. And it's a classic sort of dynamic of a a union negotiating with uh, industry leaders. I mean, that was basically what was happening today. Brian, it strikes me, you know, there was a lot of talk today. Um, the the stage is sort of being, the stage furniture is being dismantled all around us here in Cor Montana. Um, that's why you might hear some loud bangs and rattling in the background. And also, we've got a few. I don't know whether they're fans or hecklers. Anyway, um, there, there are quite a few drunk people in this bar. In, yeah, uh, I didn't think that was allowed in something. But maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> Brian. Um, it strikes me, you know, there was a lot of sort of self-congratulation, that's maybe being a little bit too harsh, but the general consensus among the peloton and teams this afternoon was that it was, it was a, a victory for the CPA, it was a victory for the riders, they'd got what they wanted, the, the decision had been made fairly expediently, it was a relatively democratic process and I think all of that is true, but it struck me that all has really changed um, and you can go back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, is there a better means of communication now? There's, yeah. There is WhatsApp, yeah. so they can actually communicate the night before the race rather than showing up at the start because you know I was looking back and I've talked about this before on the podcast it was a classic example in the 1988 Giro and that of course is famous infamous for the incident on the Gavia but a couple of days later they were supposed to go into Austria over the Timmelsjoch, the Paso del, del Rombo and there were threats of strikes and there was this sort of consensus in the peloton that if any snow fell then they would all stop and they would get and then they would get changed to get undressed effectively change their clothes in a tunnel um, near the top and what happened there was a huge mutiny there were riders uh, bolting you, off down the no road
0: reason one that's relevant here there is
2: well. there's the the naira quintana in exactly. 2014 and you know that day in 1988 There were, as I said, these recriminations towards Vincenzo Torriani, the race director, that Jean-Francois Bernard, the French rider, was sort of swearing at him and learning all sorts of new Italian swear words (laughs) that day. But um, the dynamic, you know, I was reading, I went back and read the newspaper reports today, and the dynamic that played out there was very, very
0: similar. Just with, today, it was with 21st century technology. I mean, so Rai was a host uh, broadcaster. They have an after show after the stage. Called processo della tappa, and a processo, it certainly was. Is a court case, and uh, there was uh, there weren't any lawyers there, but it was quite clear what the editorial opinion was from from Rai, and including the expert commentators in this case, Stefano Gazzelli, Alessandro Petacchi, the host Fabretti. Uh, they were dead against this, and they all obviously they were here early, so they did all they they drove here, and they probably. They'd gotten here before knowing that anything would have been canceled. They would, they would probably be had been extremely surprised. And I tell you, Dan, you were out doing interviews and I was watching this. They were angry. And they said, you you're disrespecting the audience. You're disrespecting the Giro. What kind of cycling is it you want? Is it just, it just is rain enough for, to cancel something? And you, you, you the, what you wanted to cancel didn't get canceled. So I think that whole, which is a little bit interesting, also that whole bargaining element that the right can say we want to do this, we don't want to do that, and uh, the, the conclusion is also that what what what's next then? You know, it does this set a precedence? Well,
2: I think it undoubtedly does, and you know, I said when we were driving to Janyi in the car just a minute ago that the sad truth is that the jeopardy would have been greater in yesteryear, yeah. twenty years ago, because there were more fans at the roadside and. The Giro d'Italia was occupying a bigger space in the in the public psyche. Absolutely. And there would have been there would have been more real feeling towards the Giro d'Italia. We heard earlier from Max Chandry about the the being people putting their thumbs down we on the road that. up the Grand Stand. they don't like the there podcast. Lot, yeah, there would have been a lot more pressure on the riders at the Giro d'Italia yeah. and the Giro itself. Probably also from sponsors. Yes. Um. Maybe 20, 30 years ago. Brian, we've talked a lot about this already. Let's hear, shall we, from another rider who was interviewed. Before the start, spoke very eloquently as always and very rationally. And I caught up with him after the finish, and he was also a jubilant. He is a jubilant teammate of the stage winner, Aine Rubio. It is Carlos Verona.
1: La chiacchierata del giorno. The chin wag of the day.
2: Well, Carlos, um, this morning you were you sort of became the spokesperson. You found yourself being asked for your opinion. Um, and you explained that two hours in the rain was better than six, and that was that was key today.
1: I mean, I don't want to be misunderstood, but at the end, you know, I just was telling what the majority of the bunch was telling, and actually, my opinion, you know, even could be different, because for me, for example, today was easier longer stage, I don't have problem to go in the climbs, I could go in the early breakaway and I could win the stage. So, it's not my personal opinion, it's just the voice of the bunch. When 19 out of 22 teams vote and say this opinion, it's, it's, not, it's not me, you know, it's, it's just the opinion. You know? And like, always, there is somebody or some people that we have our opinions, our ideas, we can share it and we don't have any problem, there is people that hides behind, you know, others. Uh, yeah, it's fine, you know, I take it. I, I, don't, I don't really mind, I think, just uh, we, have, we need to find the, the balance, you know, we have to work together with the reinstators. Cycling is, you know, our, our playground <laughs> sometimes is difficult and I think we have to work just all together, you know. Not We are not a war against uh, RCS or ESO, I think we just need to find a solution. Also now with Anna Hansen in the CPA, I think we can make some steps forward. The first thing of all, I think we need to get clear what is the extreme weather protocol. Because it's the first thing has to be clear, so we can take objective uh, decisions. And with this, we can continue, you know. Uh, today, I think, after all, yeah, uh, maybe the weather was not that bad as expected. Also, was a shame, you know, like when you are in the bus and you see people waiting for us, but sometimes you have to make decisions before the race goes. And this happens, No, if there is not a clear communication between the organizator and the cyclist, maybe we can take the wrong decisions, but I hope that, like, the, what happened today... It's a present for the future and we can start slowly to work more closely together for the well of the sport, uh, the cyclists, uh, the the races and the fans. And how much is the fact that it's been such a hard year
2: and you've had so much bad weather and the stages are long? I mean, how much was that cumulative fatigue
1: a factor today? I don't see anyone complaining for 200km stages, you know, like it's our sport. And also, like, I mean, makes sense, like we have such a long day because at the end this is endurance sport and go, gonna win who, the, the one who survives, no? So I think this is not the matter. I mean, like, it was more today, we were afraid to do two, re- because to the, on stage 10, we had 30 kilometer descent, with two degrees, and I tell you, like, was horrible, a lot of chaos, mess, and I think everybody was a little bit afraid to have the same today, but with the difference that we had two long descents, you don't have a uh, close enough to change, so we expect a uh, much worse weather than it was at the end. And you know, like this is something I think today was a day to learn from everyone, for the race organizations, for cyclists, for the CPA, and in the future try to do a little bit things better. Uh, if there is a plan B, I think always must come from the organization, not from the riders, then have time in advance to check it out, this uh, plan B. And also have people in front of the race to check if the weather forecast is that bad, you know? Because at the end, if there is somebody really like uh, in the morning of the day at the top of uh, San Bernardino and says, no, there is not uh, that bad weather, then okay, race can go. no. So I think we need to start working in the future and I think we are in the way, you know? Also, I think everything has to improve uh, and we are in the way. Carlos, i let you go and celebrate. Just one last thing. Uh, yes. Aine Rubio's
2: stage win. Um... One second.
1: <laughs> Uh, just last thing, well, we've, you've
2: just been celebrating with uh, Rojas here. Um, how, do, how does it make you feel and just, um,
1: well, how much does he deserve this? So much, you know, I think not the on the team, I think we were we, we knew we had a different team in this Giro, you know, with Einer has such a talent, but not a lot of experience. So that's why also I'm here, Rojas is here, you know, to try to get them a little bit calm. So I'm, I'm very happy, you know, we try in the first week everything for Gaviria. Now was coming in our opportunities. And I'm very happy that trainer could make it today for the team. You know, also two days ago we were in very low times with Oscar in the hospital. Mm. Uh, Gaviria just crashed, you know, when, you know, when the sprinter crash, is not the best to contest the next sprint. So the morale start to be a little bit low. Uh, with this victory, I think we can all breathe, enjoy and, you know, and also like appreciate the good moments. You know, you know, now we're in a good moment. 80 48 ago we were in like not, good moment. not so good moments <laughs> so yeah we are super happy right, brian that
2: was carlos verona and well that was talking after the stage i said he'd been talking before the stage and um, well during the stage in fact on my way to the finish line while tipo pino was still down the road and our hearts were still in our mouths i dialed Lionel Bernie's number and well this is today's pausa cappuccino
5: it's past 11 time for my cappuccino break
1: la pausa cappuccino con Lionel Dopo
5: le 11.
2: I know it's coming home it's coming cycling's what? coming home Remember
5: what's that? this in reference to
2: well this is the this is the Timo Pino song isn't it
5: Oh, of course, of course. Yes, yeah, sorry.
2: What a disappointment! You didn't remember that.
5: Sorry, yeah, no, I do. Re- I, and now you say that. Now you say that. I re- it, it, it all comes flooding back to me with a sort of slight, very, very slight kind of awkwardness at any sort of public singing or show of. Oh, no, it's not not my thing. That I can't. I can't. Tra- Anywhere, I had a traumatic karaoke experience, and it scarred me for the whole of my what adult, was it, what, adult what was your, life. So,
2: what's your karaoke song? mine is always um, she drives me crazy to finding cannibals so any song I ever did in karaoke. Anyway, oh, wow, very good, um, um, Lionel. By anyway, by the time listeners hear this, unfortunately, uh, Tebo will have well, he'll have snatched defeat from the jaws of definitive consecration. Anyway, so um, <laughs> ne- never, never fear. But I did predict this. I did predict this yesterday in the podcast, didn't
5: I? And well, I really made predictions. Indeed, yeah. I, I was wondering, Daniel, what you did today with your with your half day. Did you go shopping? Do a bit of laundry? I don't know. Oh, big relax.
2: <laughs> well, no. And I've been in. This is also a record for me. I've spent three years in Switzerland. Three years. Three hours in Switzerland, and I still haven't got any Rivella blue. Um, anyway. Anyway, Lionel. On with the serious business. On with the racing or the polemica, at least.
5: Well, yeah, I mean, this stage is looking like definitive proof that you're right and I'm wrong about shorter stages. They have raced hard because the stage has been significantly shortened and, wow, I mean, my point really isn't necessarily about the length of stages, it's about the Giro's right to have uh, a, you know, a different approach to the idea of what a Grand Tour is. Um, compared to the Tour de France and the Vuelta a España. But uh, it has to be said that today's race, it does feel like the the Giro has come alive and they've shortened it and got lucky with the weather because uh, the forecast terrible conditions have not really materialised. So the best of both worlds really today.
2: Yes, Lino, it has been a bit of a crackerjack stage so far. Um, as I told to you, well, we've got one climb to go, haven't we? But yeah, it's been action from the gun. Significant action as well, not just not just sort of breakaway hunters fighting it out amongst themselves, but things that could have a lasting impact on the final destiny of this race. And this is what I always say, isn't it, about I like it when the break, the narrative of the break and the narrative of the general classification are intertwined, interweaved, even on sprint stages. You know, I think that should be the case. And uh, I think we see that often at the Vuelta España. And part of the reason for that is that, the action tends to kick off very early and it poses questions of all of the teams in the race very early. Um, And I don't necessarily think that's the case at the Giro.
5: And, of course, today's shortened stage couldn't be more of an advert for your Kilometre Zero episode this morning, which talks about whether the the Giro is Bruised or whether it's broken. A really excellent listen, put, putting a, a range of points of view about, uh, well, the, the Giro's bad luck that we've talked about. I mean, when we think about long stages, funnily enough, in 1984 in the Tour de France, Crans Montana hosted a finish and then the start of the following day's stage. To, The following day's stage went back into France, and it was 320 kilometers long, and it took the riders 9 hours, 28 minutes. Frank Hoster won the stage. Sean Kelly was third. I mean, that's taking things to extremes. I don't think anyone is suggesting uh, stages should be that long. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. But... um, And also on the the way that it was all resolved this morning with the the riders and the teams making their representation to RCS, the race organisers. Adam Hansen has really stepped to the fore as the president of the CPA, the Riders Union. Uh, It does feel like the riders are presenting a a much more unified front when it comes to um, putting forward their point of view about when it's uh, basically time to invoke the extreme weather protocol which was the reason for today's shortened stage even if the extreme weather didn't quite materialize if people want to listen to a lot more from adam hansen i interviewed him just before the giro and that episode is available to friends of the podcast sign up at thecyclingpodcast.com well, Daniel, Derek G is in the break again today, and the quest for a nickname continues. Speaking words of wisdom?
2: Yes, indeed. Yeah, and there some humdingers that came in yesterday, some good nominations. Yeah,
5: Brian McClaskey, has. Uh, he thinks that loon is a good start, but reckons we should make it Looney. Has a better ring to it, he says, because that's a name for the Canadian $1 coin, which has the common loon on it. I didn't know that. Thank you very much for that, Brian. So maybe that should be it. Looney. I don't know.
2: This uh, feels very much as though I'm on a crash crash course with a dubious mission, much like when you coined uh, a pretty invidious nickname for Simon Yates a few years ago. It it feels as though I'm going to be told, probably by you, that on the second rest day I have to go and present Derek G with his new nickname, which he's going to (laughs) hate. And... I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be cancelled by half the peloton. Maybe such poor yeah, taste. well, maybe you could
5: soften the blow by presenting him with a with a one dollar coin. You know that would that would probably take the sting out of it, wouldn't it?
2: It would. It would.
5: Uh, very lastly, Daniel, your revella uh, delivery, uh, I trump that with my wine delivery, which has turned up from Divine Cellars. Thank you very much to Greg and all the team at Divine Cellars for for sending me my case. Looking forward to. Well, we've got a barbecue planned tomorrow. I'm going to do some arrosticini as well. I'm not going to start that um, controversy, that imbroglio again, but uh, there'll be a wine to pair with it, hopefully, as well.
2: Excellent, Lionel. Well, as we speak, I'm just arriving on the finish line. Um, Cappuccino curfew was long ago, but um, yes, just about to settle in to watch the last few kilometres of this truncated but excellent, dramatic stage
5: well I'm I'm sort of descending into the weekend. now, freewheeling into the weekend. Uh, maybe you'll get another couple of half days over the weekend, I don't know.
2: Well, Lionel, I know we will check in with you of course tomorrow as we always do.
5: Enjoy the finish, Daniel, thank you. So Brian.
2: Jubilant scenes, as I said, at the Movistar bus up here in uh, Cran-Montana
0: this afternoon. What a difference a day makes after Shandri. Yeah, two days. uh, We saw him at the hospital when we were sitting outside the kebab place.
2: And, And also, Brian, what a contrast between the scene there and the other scene that I witnessed at the finish line and well i I alluded earlier to the fact that you are sipping what i hope is a lovely pinot noir and i saw a pinot noir at the finish line because Thibaut Pinot he was inconsolable as one would expect and you know the pathos it was a day of pathos and polemica and the pathos of Thibaut Pinot's career was beautifully encapsulated in those couple of hours when he was down the road and I said yesterday this stage suited him perfectly it was made even more explosive, suited him possibly even better when it was shortened today and he looked like the strongest rider in the race, and yet it, it somehow
0: didn't happen My theory of is had it been the original stage, then he would have won because it would have been a lot harder. There was he yeah, just, he just nice. couldn't get he just couldn't get rid of those guys today, even if he tried 10, 15 times. With uh, 150 kilometers added, the original ones, I think the outcome would have been different. Yes, Brian, but as ever, I think
2: the world was sort of, well, a large contingent, a large percentage of the people watching on TV were certainly willing him on. And uh, again, it did encapsulate the appeal of, Pino, we know that this is his last year in Italia, he was so animated, he was gesticulating wildly at Sepeda at one point, um, I spoke to his brother Julian Pino, his coach, um, at the bus parking at the finish, and he, Julian, was pretty, well he was obviously disappointed and the feeling around the team was that Thibaut had been a little bit too emotive, emotional, he had lost
0: maybe too much energy in getting agitated at Sepeda. An example and- Daniel when um, Paripantra came back and attacked on the descent, Pino attacked on the descent, knowing, he must have known, the long valley going up to the foot of the Conspontana, that wouldn't have been a very wise thing to do on, on his own. It was just... I mean, very I mean, certainly today. their
2: feeling and Julien's feeling was that had Thibaut, instead of attacking, I don't know how many times, 30, 40 times, um, had he just maintained a very high tempo, he was climbing better than those two guys. And he's fast. And he would have inexorably dropped them. But the, I suppose if there is any crumb of comfort, it's the fact that he's got his legs back. He's rediscovered his form. We know he was ill he last week. He's got his GC week. position back. He's got his GC position back. And... Uh, so hopefully more opportunities to come for Pino, Brian. But um, Rubio, I, I don't know, was he was he sort of playing possum? Um, was there an element of kidology? Of course, this is the rider who first came to prominence in the Giro d'Italia a couple of years ago in the stage of Camigliatello Silano when he was in a break with Thomas de Hent, among others, and Filippo Ganna. Filippo Ganna went on to win the stage. And Aine Rubio, well, he upset Thomas de Ghent. um to the extent that Degent said afterwards, his main objective was to stop Rubio winning. And he did succeed in yeah. stopping Rubio winning at that stage, but yeah. Thibaut Pinot did not succeed
0: today. No. I mean, I he played it extreme. that was smart. That was smart racing. I'm I'm sure he had a, a sports director who told him to like, wait, 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 and everyone could see that from, for each kilometer, Pinot just wasted more energy. So, I mean, it's, it's also, it's a risk if you poker that way, you might lose, and but he—I uh, thought that was a brilliant way to win the stage. And when he first jumped, that basically it was over. Pino couldn't couldn't come back on him. That was uh, absolutely p- tactical, m- masterminded. That 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 f- that way of winning. I loved it.
2: And Brian, well, he's a rider who has been sort of touted as a future star for a few years. We we've sort of talked about the the fading golden generation of Colombian riders and how there's a bit of a vacuum behind and maybe Butrago of bahrain Victorious is the most likely heir to the
0: generation. Well, it's all because Bernal has been injured, isn't it?
2: Yeah, there's the Bernal issue and and there's also the fact that Nairo Quintana sort of exited the stage and Rigoberto Aran is obviously, well, he's getting into the twilight of his career. But Rubio is a guy, I mean, he won won two stages in the Baby Giro, one in uh, 2019 in 2018 and he was one of the guys who was sort of anointed as the successor to Quintana or Ber- I'm sorry Quintana or Uran or Chavez for example that could, that and it could has still a- happen yeah, it hasn't quite happened for him. And I, I think that he looks at his best on days like today in mountain breakaways. But um, yeah, much needed, much needed victory for Movistar. And um, and just a word on Sipir, that as well. Uh, great. It's been a great Giro so far for EF Education, Easy Post. And, well, certainly on the first climb of the day, he looked like he was pushing much too big a gear and that yeah. he had no chance of beating Thibaut Pino. But he was the one that was riling Pino the most,
0: wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. A bit of a—he was waving his fist at uh, at him if, quite a few times. It's interesting how EF have gone. I mean, I think they have great plans for for the for the latter part of the Giro. We also saw Hugh Carthy today, who's clearly coming into form, and there's a lot of good opportunities for him. And uh, yeah, it's just—and I think I anticipated it a little bit when we talked about what was going to happen post Remco that breakaways will go in this in this duo now, because the the GC is so is so close you know he's, uh, Thomas is still leading with only with two seconds and Thomas even said today in the press conference that it was probably um, Ruggles didn't want to have the jersey today because he, he says then I'm the one sitting here talking to you guys it's not that I don't want to but that's another half hour of my recuperation that just goes down the drain basically that's not the word he used by the way but that was the gist of it and uh, that makes a lot of sense so I think they will let breakaways go they'll try and control each other they'll look at each other They don't really care about the stage wins yet at this point of the race, so more opportunities for those riders who are or are not interested in GC. You can't say that about Pino anymore, he's too dangerous. You can't really say that about Hugh Carthy either, because he's a danger man once we come into the mountains. You're listening to Girovagando,
1: the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia.
2: Well, Brian, we dealt with the polemica. We've dealt with the pathos. Um, shall we deal with the uh, passivity that we saw in the? Was it passivity in the GC group at the end? Not many attacks. I thought we would see more, but I think it was well. I, as I intimated to Mark Reef earlier. I think it was more a reflection on Ineos's strength and yep. the tempo that they were setting. Interesting that Pavel Sivakov, there were a few riders today, it just showed the what what a difference a fast start and explosive start makes. There really. were a few riders who looked dead and buried early in the stage today. Jack Haig was one of them, Sivakov was another, and there were others who then reappeared somehow at the end of the stage.
0: And they played it smart, Team Ineos, today. Just the fact that they were setting a tempo that made it possible for Swift and Sivakov to come back. And that made a, that made a huge difference in the Valley before Camp Montana And I think the way they, they communicated that is, uh, it's almost from a GC point of view, play of the day. I have a feeling it would have been different the the, the GC outcome or the GC action, had this been the full stage. I'm, I'm quite convinced about that. But it's also, when it's that short, there's a lot of riders, I mean, it was only probably like 20 guys in the GC group, but still, the attacks that came at that point weren't going weren't gonna, to be deep. They, it would only be a, a few seconds because no, everyone is still, was still rather fresh. No one was, I think, cold or under sort of other types of pressure from the, the nature of, of the temperatures we saw today. So I think it was to be, to be expected that nothing spectacular happened. Luckily it did in the breakaway and luckily Pino basically saved the day for people who love to watch bike racing.
2: Brian, I hope people aren't being too distracted by the REM cover band in that we can just about hear. I hope they're not losing. I felt like I lost my religion a little bit when Thibaut Pino. Uh, didn't get the stage win today. But just on Roglic, uh, a word. I was slightly surprised that we didn't see more from him. But even just in that last... Well, I think that you you hit the nail on the head. It was the pink jersey question. He didn't, he didn't want the pink jersey. Because otherwise, it would have been ripe for roglification. I think he probably had in mind, if I think I can gain 20 seconds, then I'll do it. I, well, but I think he could uh, have roglified
0: today. Exactly. And he has to measure up the the risk and the reward. If the reward is ruglification the risk is the jersey. And having the jersey now, and it's not just the the extra 30, 40 minutes he has to spend in the mix zone, on the podium, all that. It's also the fact that then they, they, they will be the team that everyone looks to, to take control, to call the shots in the peloton. Because Ineos would love to not have that role. So I, I think there's a reason why he kept his powder dry today. And and we'll look to other, a bit more wholesome, more substantial possibilities later on the race.
2: I'm talking about losing my religion. I've also lost a bit of faith in Primoz Roglic because his agent is my Rivella. With this this mythical blue soft Swiss soft drink, he's my dealer. Oh, really? Because he's from Switzerland and he occasionally brings me bottles of Rivella. And the consignment of Rivella um, is stuck in Puglia because he had an incident early on in the Jura. Had to buy me own Rivella at the. Um, uh, should uh, be a disclaimer before every episode But I do try my best to maintain my objectivity in spite of that dangerous liaison. Brian, it's that time of the podcast where we talk about last night and tomorrow.
1: La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner.
2: Brian, last night we were in Ivrea, home of Olivetti.
0: And home of a, a restaurant which we very much enjoyed. And, you know, if, if there's, there's polemica in the daytime in this duo, there was certainly also polemica at the restaurant last night. I mean, I have my version. You probably have yours. But I was looking forward to a quiet dinner with my friend and colleague, Daniel Freebie. Decent glass of wine, you know, a nice, healthy dinner. And there was a table at the back forget end of the room. The, forget about the Great Dane. We saw the Rottweiler last night. And they were, it was like a group of, I was probably like, 30, 40, F- F- Flemish guy, or seven maybe. And they were so loud. And uh, I, I spoke to the, the chef, and there was a couple, the chef and the and the maître. They, they said they, they were too scared to go down and tell them to be quiet. You were definitely not scared. I, I took on that task, Daniel, with yeah. great pride and it all turned very quiet all of a sudden yeah
2: yeah. enjoyable um, I was also quite quiet and sheepish Brian um, we had a, a nice meal then. we had some um, uh, nice Nebbiolo last night it was the producer was called was it Rocco Barone Bra- Bracco Barone yeah um, something the, like that uh, it was the baron anyway um, I didn't pick the wine the baron the of something like, yeah. Brian what have we got well we've got a stage tomorrow that I am not particularly enthusiastic about it and in fact I had this discussion with a few people today including Ciro um that really these two stages so today was a friday they should have been switched around we should have gone Today, from Casano Maniago, where we finish tomorrow, which is the hometown of Ivan Basso, we should have gone over the Simplon Pass and finished, well, we would have had an exciting finale, had that been the case. And then we should have come back on a Saturday, that's the big showcase for the Giro d'Italia, we should have basically done today's stage backwards. Like Um, having the workout final
0: on Monday morning. Yeah, whether the
2: weather, weather, um, top quality podcasting, um, would have permitted, I don't know. But
0: I just think that would have made more sense. Yeah, you can't really have, I mean, let's see what happens, but I think nothing, but it's quite anticlimactic to have a big weekend stage with that with that type of layout, which probably brings me to tomorrow's stage. Tell us about it. Yeah, so it's 194 kilometers from Sierra in Switzerland, quite close to where we are sitting now, to Cassano e Magnano Maniago in Italy. Got Wonderwall in the background now. And, uh, yeah, and speaking of Wonderwalls, an interesting parkour if it was written the other way around. It's not, and that means the big and only climb of the day, a very long and high altitude climb, the Passo del Sempione, is done and dusted with 140 kilometers to go. And after that... It's going to be the
2: biggest nothing burger you have almost ever seen. It's completely
0: flat all the way to Casano Maniago, which is slightly north of Milano, not far from the Malpensa airport. Yeah, I don't know if the, if the Baku is supposed to be an illustration of a, a rider we both know, his ups and downs, but it's just a bit of a me kind of like yeah Yeah, well i think
2: it's got potential even to finish in a sprint tomorrow um which is which is unusual which is strange that rcs have chosen to have us have a stage like that on a saturday but the action will very much resume the gc action we hope we really hope so the gc action will resume in bergamo on sunday brian it's getting later and later in the race who does this favour? Just a, a final word on the GC. Um, I think it favours Geraint Thomas. If, if they can keep delaying the big sort-out, the big shootout, you know, we might get to a point where Primoz Roglic can only... He can only sort of snaffle a few seconds, less than a minute. I don't know. We've still, of course, we've still got the two big stages
0: in the Dolomites, and particularly the stage of the Trecimi di I mean, that what it could end up meaning... Well, let's see. But what it could end up being a result of all this is that it'll mirror a little bit what we saw last year when it actually wasn't until the stage to Fedaya Marmolada that the race was, was turned upside down. But I, I think, and I'm trying to be you know, genuinely, I think, genuinely, genuinely optimistic here, it's way too early to make that call. Indeed, Brian. Indeed. Brian. I think that's about it for this
2: evening. We're going to head down the hill to our little bed and breakfast just underneath the resort of Cor montana the very fancy resort of Cor montana um, I had a nice raclette, actually, in the press room earlier today, uh, defaulting, obviously, on my vegan diet during the Grand Tours. Um, that was quite enjoyable. And it's that kind of fair in Switzerland, not mm, particularly congenial to your taste, I know. But... Um, Anyway, we're in Switzerland for a few more hours, Brian, so you better, we better, we
0: better, be, you better, we
2: better be going and restaurants up and close at up. 7.30. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, Buona sera or Bonsoir from me.
0: That's buonasera, and I'll see you tomorrow in Italy.
4: The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013
1: by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Byrne.